0: Hello 9 Cappers. it's the 9 Innings Podcast hosted by yours truly, Kevin Thompson, founder and CEO of 9i Capital Group. Thank you guys for joining us. As I always say, subscribe to this channel. As I always say, go and get my book, Be to CFP, live on Apple and Amazon. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at info at icapitalgroupcom Send us your questions, or you can go to the website at www.9iCapitalGroup.com. Schedule an appointment. As you know, we're here to do what? educate, empower, and engage. And today we have a wonderful guest. We are honored to have a distinguished guest joining us. An insightful author and commentator, Matthew K. Lewis. He has a book out, I just read it, Filthy Rich Politicians. It's about wealth, politics, and public perception. It delves into the nuances of our political landscape. He's a seasoned analyst. He sheds light on the influence of wealth in shaping our elected officials and the consequences it bears on trust in our institution. So join us today for this thought-provoking conversation. And without further ado, let's welcome Matthew K. Lewis to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Matthew K. Lewis here author of Filthy Rich Politicians. Matthew, thank you for joining us today, my friend.
1: Hey, man, it's great to be here. Good to talk with you.
0: Man, I appreciate it. So again, I've learned so much in the last, I guess, couple of months. I read your book, Filthy Rich Politicians, and some of the things that I saw, that that I read in the book were kind of like an aha moment, but then some of it was like, I can't believe they get away with this stuff, right? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like, so I guess my first question is like, how did you come about or across the idea to explore the relationship between wealth, politics, and some public perception and trust in our institutions?
1: Well, I wish I could tell you that um, this is an idea that I wanted to make a difference and all that. Um, but the truth is actually a book agent approached me gotcha. and said, uh, I have an idea that I think would be a big hit, and the idea was the 100 richest politicians in America, mm-hmm. and he wanted me to rank them. And it wasn't; it really wasn't supposed to have any agenda at all. It was basically, um, you know, the way people watch TMZ or read yeah. gossip. It was supposed to be just like ranking without really going into it. Gotcha. Um, and I'm like, ah, I think I could do that. That would be, you know, I, I could do that. And so we pitched it to our our book publisher. And, you know, everybody thinks that these publishers are just in it to make money and they just want to put out some salacious material. But my publisher happily said, we like the idea, but we think it needs to be deeper and more thought provoking. Gotcha. And so it ended up evolving into, I think, a much better idea that I ended up being um, sort of soul, you know, as a writer, yeah. it's a business, you want to make money, but you also want to do something that's like soul nourishing, That mm-hmm. that is you know, making a point no one else has really made adequately and hopefully teaching people and maybe even making things a little better. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, I think that's the book that, that we ended up doing was something I'm really proud of.
0: Do you know what was really refreshing about the book is that in the first couple of chapters, you come out right away and says, you say, this is what I am. I'm I'm a center-right-leaning individual. This, this I'm, I, And I'm not... Pulling any punches because you didn't hold anything back. You were punching the right, punching the left, punching the middle. You were getting getting them all. So I I appreciate the fact that you did that because you left no ambiguity. So thank you so much for for just getting getting that out in the front because a lot of people will just write a book and then you can kind of say, are they are they t- talking about this side over here? Are they and you? And this leaves you with all this ambiguity. So thank you so much for that, my friend.
1: Sure thing. No, I completely agree. I don't want to be reading a book and having to guess, like, why did he say this? Does he have a a hidden agenda or ulterior motives? And so I tried to put the cards on the table. And um, actually, I thought maybe it would even reinforce the book when I said, like, look, I don't hate rich people. Yeah, My wife is a Republican fundraiser. Uh I'm not out to, like, show up with, like, pitchforks and lanterns (laughs) and take down rich people but I do love America and I believe in liberal democracy. And if we want to preserve the system that we have and keep the barbarians (laughs) from storming the gates, then we have to have a system where people, where where it's not rigged, you know? So when Donald Trump shows up, and I'm not a huge Trump fan, but when Donald Trump shows up and starts saying the game is rigged, well, look, there's a reason why people believed him. It's because, it kind of is, <laughs> yeah. you know, at least certain parts of it certainly look rigged.
0: Hey, that makes me smart. I didn't pay taxes. It makes me smart, right? <laughs> yes. And, and that's when, like, I know Dave Chappelle said it on the Saturday Night Live skit, but he was like, the reason he won is because I know the game is rigged because I'm using this game, right? Yeah. And and he's absolutely right. And I guess it goes back to the point of, like, the, the financial divide between politicians, civilians. And the erosion of trust in our industry. Like, uh, can you can you talk a little bit about? Well, first first and foremost, like, why should I? Why should we trust these individuals that supposedly have our best interest in, in DC when we know that you know there, there there's there's these these uh, lobbyists out there that are possibly giving giving them money to sway them one way or the other, or there's there's big packs out there that want them to to, to vote a certain way.
1: Actually, this brings up a point I should have made earlier. When you asked me like why I decided to write the book, yeah, once I had this idea pitched to me, I saw I had I had seen this Facebook meme mm-hmm. that said the average American, uh well, how it was, how is it that the average member of Congress is a millionaire um, when you know the average American makes. I fr- only, oh, this is what it was. Only one percent of Americans are millionaires, but the mm. average member of Congress. So that got me thinking yeah. too. Yeah. So I started looking into it. It wasn't quite accurate. The f- Facebook didn't have it exactly right. Mm. Um, something like five to seven percent of Americans nowadays are millionaires. Yeah. It ain't yeah. what it used to be, mm. but it is true. More than fifty percent of members of Congress are millionaires, and so the the uh, the discrepancy is, is pretty big. And if you're a regular American out there trying to make ends meet, it seems a little weird that you know all these congressmen are really living large. And I think that there's a perception, you know, that that they're feathering their own nests and that the game is rigged. And um, I think that that is what is it, that basically erodes trust in elected officials. But as you were just noting, it's more than just that, right? Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's not just that they start off richer than normal people, um, which is, you know, problematic in its own right. Um, it's the sense that they're getting richer while in office. Right. Mm -hmm. And even when they leave office, they've got that revolving door where they leave office and then they become a lobbyist and they can still cash in. And so I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's from cradle to grave in their, in their case.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that, um, like I know there's an earned income limit and all of this other stuff that you mentioned in your book. And what was funny is how they get around it by doing book deals and all this other stuff. And then they have the, what, what is the, the, the nonprofit entity sitting outside of all. All So talk to me a little bit about how one may use that system to basically, I guess, engross their income in regards to like, Hey, I can put money over here and it doesn't count towards my earned income. So like how how do politicians use that system? Because you explain it very well in the book, but I just wanna give the audience a little bit of of a taste.
1: Well, thank you. And first it's a pleasure to talk to someone who actually read the book. Oh. Um and not only read the book but wants to talk about other parts of the book. Right, everyone was very obsessed with the insider trading aspect, yeah. which I oh, write stock about stock
0: act, all that stuff, the yeah. stock
1: stuff. Everyone, so like ninety percent of the interviews I did, that's all we talked about. So it's fun to talk about some of, uh, you know, some of the other stuff, um, involved. And yeah, I mean, so uh, refresh my memory. Tell me again what were some of the things that there was the book, the book deal thing. Oh, oh, the, the tax so, so the book, book right?
0: deal, and then of course the uh the actual, like, like the nonprofit entities that they'll set up outside once they're no longer in Congress and they'll have, you know, cause they, they have campaign funds. You mentioned this campaign yeah. funds go into a certain slush fund. And then ultimately yep. they're not supposed to use it for income, but then they typically keep that money. And then they, Push that money to possibly a, a nonprofit entity, and then they then they end up using that money in a certain way. You mentioned it in a little bit of a constructive a uh, uh, way in your book, and I and I was like, that's interesting how that can come about. But can you kind of explain that a little yeah. bit, or I explaining it
1: wrong? So no, you're you're totally right. And part of it is there's so many ways that they're cashing in. Okay, yeah. it's, it's so many tricks. So first of all, um, as as most people probably know. Um, money that you earn via investments is taxed at a lower rate yes. than money you earn. If you're a janitor, if you're a police officer, you are taxed at a higher rate than people who make their money from investing. And it just so happens that most members of Congress earn the majority of their money from investing. So not only are they richer than us, they're taxed at a lower rate than most Americans. So that's like step one. Yeah. So, you know, then they get in Congress. And, um, you know, there are rules and regulations. Uh, so, for example, when you're in Congress, you're paid a salary. It's about one hundred and seventy four thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Not too shabby,
0: by the way. Not, Not too, too shabby. shabby. Yeah.
1: Um. But, you know, if you're living, if you've got a house in Dallas in the and then you've got DC. to have one in D.C., or sleep in your office, you know, it's probably better to have it, you know, and you're commuting back and forth, you know, it's a tough gig.
0: DC's uh, not cheap, my friend, like you said. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's not cheap. So, you know, I have a little sympathy for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, you know, so there are rules. So like one rule is um you can only earn you can only do a job like a side hustle that makes uh, this doesn't count investments because investments yeah. are considered passive income, you yeah. know. But but when it comes to actually like what's called earned income, You can supplement that $174,000 salary um, by doing some consulting work on the side. You could Mm. make another $30,000, let's say, legally, that they will permit you to make on the side as a member of Congress. And it's actually illegal to get paid to give a speech, right? If you're a a politician, you cannot get paid to give a speech because what happened is in the olden days, people who wanted to buy off politicians would pay them to give speeches, right? Yeah. But the loophole here is you can still get paid to write a book. And so um, that is a, that's one of the reforms I want to get rid of. Is is, mm-hmm. is because there are a lot of these politicians who are basically they write a book and um mm-hmm. they'll get paid a lot of money through the advance and even maybe royalties. And then they'll use their campaign infrastructure, the taxpayer funded well campaign or not campaigners. The campaign infrastructure comes from campaign donors, but if they're in Congress, they might also be using their congressional office and that infrastructure, which is taxpayer funded, but Mm -hmm. basically they're using other people's money to promote and sell the book. Then that money is laundered effectively into their pocket. Oh my god. Then the last thing, and then I'll shut up because I mean I could go on forever.
0: No, go ahead, man. This is your this is for you, my friend. This this is for us. I'm I'm, I'm interested. I'm deeply interested for sure.
1: But as you noted, they can also, like if they leave office, they can create these these foundations Mm -hmm. and these these funds. So even if they don't become lobbyists where they cash in, they can you're a congressman, and it used to be, man, check this out. Yeah. Till around 1980, there were still members of Congress who were grandfathered in who could keep their campaign money. So you could raise like a million dollars for your campaign okay. pretending that you're gonna run for reelection. Yeah. And then at the last minute, oh, decide wow. you're not gonna run. Yeah. You used to be allowed to pocket that money personally, mm-hmm. but now you, you can't do that anymore. What you can do, however, is take those millions of dollars in your campaign war chest and transfer it to this entity, like a foundation or a pack or whatever. And then you could spend the next 10 years. Like I'm thinking about giving some of my money away to Ron DeSantis. So I'm going to yeah. need to go to a retreat at the four seasons in Miami and <laughs> meet with it. You know, <laughs> you get it.
0: Yeah. That's how it works. Man, and and you, I guess it kind of goes to the point too, where, okay, Hey, I'm not necessarily giving you this, Ten hundred thousand dollar advance. So what we're gonna do, like you mentioned, I want you to write a book. I want you to write a book, and I'm gonna then I'm gonna give you this hundred thousand dollars. We're gonna say you wrote it. You wrote a book, and this is your hundred thousand dollar advance. And This is the way we could lobby you. It's just there's so many, and you know what's funny about it? They're not going to write legislation against it. They're going to act like they are. It's like the Stock Act you just mentioned, right? The Stock Act, where in 2012, I think, 2011, 2012, okay, we got to put a stop to these congressional members selling stock and buying stock, yada, yada, yada. But they just, they move it a little bit. They're moving Mm -hmm. the goalposts just a little bit, but they're not necessarily doing an outright ban because they won't do an outright ban, right? So
1: it's just- And, And the crazy thing is, I mean, the Stock Act is not really that helpful, but the crazy thing is, up until then, like up until 10 years ago, it was perfectly legal for members of Congress to use inside information to make stock trades. It wasn't even illegal. Stuff that, you know, Martha Stewart went to jail for this. Yeah. And, but if you, up until a decade ago, if you were a member of Congress, you could sit on the Intel committee. You could use information, privileged information that you only have access to sensitive, classified, whatever. And it was
0: like, ah, well, these things happen. Hey, all I know is Nancy Pelosi's husband is one of the best traders on the planet, man. I don't <laughs> know how he does it. He's just got that intuition. Peter Lynch was like, I need to hire this
1: guy. <laughs> it is very, very <laughs> curious. I mean, so like, I just, let me just, for for your viewers out there and your listeners, I'll just give you like an example of the kind of thing yeah. that Paul that Paul Pelosi did. Now, maybe he's just very lucky, but it would be, you know, I don't have the exact details in front of me, but I'll give you a yeah. couple of scenarios, yeah, and just we'll paint a picture, right? You know, hypothetical here. So like uh, one time uh he uh he exercises these stock options he has to buy like hundreds of thousands of dollars like in Tesla stock. Yes. And then a couple of weeks later Joe Biden comes out and announces we are going to mandate from now on all state local and federal fleets that we purchase will all have to be zero emissions vehicles <laughs> right it's like of course the tesla stock's going to look pretty good yeah um what was the other oh the other example was um a similar thing i think it was
0: was it nvidia i think it was something like that
1: yeah that's what the one i'm thinking of is microsoft okay. where paul pelosi i think he i think it was millions of dollars of yeah. stock options in microsoft and then like a couple of weeks later the U S army announced a deal with Microsoft that they were going to, that, that, that Microsoft would be creating these augmented reality headsets Mm -hmm. for the army. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if Pelosi heard
0: about that before, maybe not, you know, Hey, Hey, hey. it's just due diligence, (laughs) hard work, intuition, my friend, nothing more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, but the, the, and the thing is, if it was just one example yeah. Maybe we could look past, there's like a lot of examples when it comes to the Pelosi's, you know, but Kevin, as you know, it's the Republicans too, right? Yeah. Richard Burr, who was the chairman of of the U.S. Senate Intel Committee, um, privy to inform- information about, about COVID-19, and so before the average American knew how bad COVID was going to be, he dumps all of this stock and things like Wyndham hotels, things that might not do well in a global pandemic. But the crazy thing is, and I don't even think this is in my book, he picks up the phone and calls his brother-in-law and within one minute of hanging up the phone, his brother-in-law dumps hundreds of thousands of dollars of stock of his stock. So.
0: hey, It's it's intuition. Like, like, so I could add onto this, like you mentioned in your book, uh, between 1985 and 2001, it's a Cambridge report. Members of the house outperform the average investor by 6%. That's the kind of stuff that's like, come on, man, yeah. <laughs> you know? So- um, And the
1: thing is, you tell me, so you're, you know, since you're an athlete, you know this better than me, but I've always heard that, um, we'll go back to the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa era. I always heard that the big thing with steroids is not that it makes you more muscular, mm-hmm. but it's that it helps you recover from injury quicker. Is that true?
0: I don't know. I've never taken steroids. It, but I was thinking, have you heard? <laughs> but, but I will tell you this. Um, the, my understanding is, you know, the very first, like, have you, have you ever played sports before in high school or something At like that? At a
1: very small level. We're Let, okay. talking Babe Ruth here.
0: Okay, so, like, like, like playing sports, you're sore the next day. Like, your mm-hmm. body's like, ah, you know. But imagine never being sore. Like, like just going to work out. Yeah. Imagine never go, never being sore. Always being ready to perform. And that advantage by far is like, oh, your your body's always ready to 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 perform, so you're never tired, yeah. and yeah, that's that's basically what it is. It's like you're waking up day one without an injury,
1: you know? so, so that's the analogy that I use here with stock with with insider trading is yeah. everybody thinks that, like steroids make you bigger and they do, but the real benefit something else. Same thing with stock trading. Everybody thinks that this insider trading, that the big benefit is it's going to make them rich, Mm -hmm. and it does, can, but actually the biggest benefit is not that you're going to make money, it's that you're not going to lose money. (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned that, yeah. It's when there's a disaster. So every time something crazy happens, right, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a housing crisis or Obamacare is going to up in the medical pharmaceutical industry mm-hmm. or covid-19 there's going to be a global pandemic or russia's about to invade ukraine whatever crazy things happening that's going to like you know up in the world and shake things up yeah you know about it before everyone else you can mitigate your losses and that's that's the real key to the insider trading
0: so so what are some solutions or reformers do you propose that uh, to address these issues like from politicians leveraging their positions to grow like what what can we as people let's let's take it back a little bit like this is supposed to be a government for the people right but now it seems like it's a government for corporations yeah and i'm again i'm a capitalist but true th- th- and true man like i said i own my own company i own, i get it but at a point certain when can we start directing what we want congressional media members to to how how we want them to act. For example, if we the people elect you, we should say we don't want you to trade on insider information. So therefore, you have to if you want this position, you have to give up the right to trade. Now that's going to leave other people out. They're going to say, well, we're just not going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So that so there's a kind of give and take there. W- what do you suggest in that world where, what like we can find find a, a common ground in regards yeah. to just how we can it, to
1: address these issues? So first, I would say, like you, um, and, and I, I touched on this earlier, but you know, I'm not r- a radical trying to upend the system or overthrow capitalism. What I want to do is preserve it. Yeah. Because if we get to a point where average Americans feel like the game is rigged, that is very destabilizing for Price
0: revolution. Right. It is yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's what I don't want. Yeah. Um. So. My book, you know, Filthy Rich Politicians. Uh, I have to be trained to say the title.
0: <laughs> oh, hey, I'll do it for you, Filthy Rich Politicians. <laughs> great book, by the way. I'm telling you, man. Thank it was, you. It's it great, man. Seriously.
1: Thank you. It's got all I've got a whole bunch of reforms, you know, mm-hmm. banning stock trading, taxing regular Americans at the same rate that mm-hmm. rich investors get taxed. Um making it, uh, you know, members of Congress cannot write. Well, they could write a book. They can't get paid to write a book while they're in. You can't get rich writing it. There's a whole bunch of reforms like that. But at the end of the day, none of them will happen unless politicians feel like they will suffer if they don't happen. And yeah. that's the sad reality is that the politicians operate based on pleasure and pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless we send a signal that we really care about this issue. This issue really matters to us. And if they don't address it, they will lose reelection or something bad, you know, then they'll never get around to it. And the the problem is, if you look at what's happening in our political system today, um, the culture war issue, you know, I think if you asked Americans, do you care about the stock issue? I bet you like 90% of Americans would say, I think they would say yes. Really? If you explained it to them. Right, okay. but then if you said, "Is it going to impact your vote? What issues are you going to vote on?" Nobody cares. It's not. No, it's, no. Like, it's like the number eleven issue. That's what, I mean, that's what I meant. That's what I meant exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's the problem. Is I think everyone's for it theoretically, but there's no intensity, and until that changes, it's not going to happen.
0: Well, but but. So the things that will impact, let's just say if I was in office and again, I, I, I want to operate in the, in the utmost integrity. And by the way, you listen to the nine names podcast with Matthew K Lewis talking about his book, "Filthy rich politicians. So if I was in office and I said, you know what? Yeah, this, this is stock act thing and, or just banning on, we see it over here, but you know what we can do? It's the border, man. It's fentanyl, man. It's all these, it's, it's, it's. You know, all these other culture issues we need to deal with right here. So let's put those out there because the Stock Act, it's not a big deal right now. I mean, that impacts me more as a, as a politician. So I'm going to put it down here yep. and make everything else go up here because that is what we're going to be, uh, I guess, you know, judged yeah. by, right? So they I think want, that's I mean, what's they, going on.
1: Yeah. And that's why. And, and by the way, not only do most Americans theoretically support banning stock trading, Mm -hmm. I actually think right now, most members of Congress will tell you that they want to ban it, right? They'll tell you. Like if you ask me, but it never actually, they never get around to it. There's always something's not quite good enough. The bill was written. There's a poison pill in the bill, or something. Oh,
0: they put something else on the bill. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: They don't well, want to do it, so that's why it has to be overwhelming pressure. Yeah, force them to do it.
0: Well, so you mentioned this term in the book, and then we have a couple more questions here. I hope I am not taking too much of your time because this is getting this is fascinating, man. I appreciate you. You mentioned this term, noblesse oblige, right? Yeah. And in light of the expectation of for politicians to act with the noblesse oblige. How can we ensure a balance between their personal wealth interests and the duty to serve us, the public? Hmm. Can now you expound you on, that on that more? Well, so, I mean, so, because if, so, for example, if I'm a rich American, right, I'm supposed to act in a certain way with, with other Americans, but yet these people are politicians. So if I have exalted myself to another status,
1: yeah,
0: like, How can they how can we ensure that just because they exalt themselves and now they're being basically coerced by these other individuals that they can still act in our own best interest?
1: Yeah. So this is an interesting phenomenon. And I think it's actually indicative of uh, some cultural problems we face in America. Mm -hmm. So it used to be that people who got rich felt an obligation to their community. Exactly. So for example, after World War II, a typical CEO was probably paid like maybe 50% more than the average employee. Now it's a hundred times more or something, you know, it's 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 insane. CEOs make so much more. And it used to be every town, every community had rich people who lived there and they were part of the community, right? So you might live in Detroit, and you had a bigger house than other people, but you were you went to the same grocery store as people who worked at your auto plant or something. Mm-hmm. You were part of the community, you built libraries, you contributed, mm-hmm. uh, and you... So part of it, I think, was a, a sincere moral obligation, and part of it was almost shame. Like, I mm-hmm. live here, I need to keep these people happy. <laughs> you know, I need to keep them liking me, keep them happy. So yeah. whether it was like self-serving or, you know, sincere, Rich people used to feel an obligation to their communities, um, and I think there were a lot of rich people who, frankly, did get involved in public service mm-hmm. because they really wanted to serve. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some cases, maybe it's a little misguided. Like, oh, the you know know—it's—it's it's kind of a paternalistic thing. I know better. I, These—I need to be there to make these wise decisions for the peons. Like, you know, I'm sure there was some, un—you know—bad motives in in some cases, but. But there was a sense that you had to uh, to give back. Mm-hmm. I've been given so much; I got to give back. Yes, I think, Kevin, in our society today, we're losing that. Uh, okay, and 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 so I think now you've got a lot of these rich politicians who are running, <laughs> and um, they're certainly using their wealth to get elected. And once they get elected, they always make more money, but they don't necessarily have that same noblesse oblige like. Mm-hmm. You know, sense that that they have to uh, help other people.
0: Man, you're. This has been a fascinating conversation, my friend. I appreciate you giving us twenty to twenty five minutes of your time. Wonderful book, "Filthy Rich Politicians" by Matthew K. Lewis. So, the last question I'm going to ask you is: when, when, when people read your book, this particular book, what do you want them to get from your book?
1: I think. Honestly, it is banning stock. I want people to realize. I think it's two things. One, the big picture overall Mm. is I want people to realize that liberal democracy is in jeopardy. Mm. Everything that we love about this country, and again, I'm a center right kind of guy.
0: Yeah, you said it in chapter one or two, man. I remember.
1: (laughs) Um, We we need to protect. I believe that that freedom. And democracy are fragile,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that we need to protect them. And the so we need to g- go above and beyond to make sure that the game isn't rigged, and that it doesn't even appear, even the appearance that our elected officials are cashing in is corrosive. So that's the big picture. The action item, I think, the one big one, obviously, and, and I say this because everyone that interviewed me, ta- we, we always talked about it, was. Banning stock trading, because I think that all the other stuff is is bad, but um, I think that's the one that really leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. Where it really looks like members of Congress are getting elected, and then they're using information that no one else has to get super rich betting on the stock market. I think that contributes to uh, the game is rigged. Since so, if we could do one thing. Maybe I'll start an organize, my own organization to, to make this happen. We'll storm Washington together. Um, but it's, that's probably the big takeaways.
0: Thank you, guys. This is the Nine Innings Podcast with Kevin Thompson, founder of Nine Innings Capital Group. We were on with Matthew K. Lewis. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for your time. We appreciate the commentary. And hopefully, uh, we'll get more people to read your book. And again, it was, it was very, very enlightening. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Kevin. You're listening to the 980s Podcast hosted by Kevin Thompson. Always subscribe to this channel, my friend. Go and get my book, MLB to CFP, live on Apple and Amazon. Today, we had Matthew K. Lewis, the author of Filthy Rich Politicians, talking about all these things. He's talking about banning stock trading for politicians. He's talking about the insider issues that they have and how politicians are becoming richer as they get elected. So... Very, very interesting book. I think the intricacies that you guys will will, will find in that book are amazing. So please check that out. As you know, we're here to do what? Educate, empower, and engage. This is the 9 Innings Podcast. We're growing, we're blowing, and we're about to go big. Stay humble, stay safe, my friends. I'll see you again soon.